live from London. This is the afternoon show with Jane Manzoni. Hello, and thank you for tuning in today. I am indeed Jane Manzoni, as my brand new jingle says. Thank you to the tech team for that. As usual, I will be talking about education and cocktails, amongst other random stuff, with my three wonderful guests who've given up part of their precious Saturday this afternoon to chat with me. Live from London, this is The Afternoon Show with Jane Manzoni on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hi, yay, I got it right. I didn't talk over the, the man at the beginning. Okay, so this afternoon I've got um, three people by the skin of my teeth. I had to rope in a good friend of mine for the last guest. Um, I have Justin Gray, a head teacher who lives in Birmingham but teaches in the black country. I know you're listening, Justin. I can see you there. I've got um, Zoe Paramore. Um, oh, let me tell you a bit more about Justin because he did send me his bio. He's been teaching for 31 years, including eight when he led a PGCE programme. And this is his third headship. He's also worked as a Senko. Uh, my second guest is Zoe Paramore. And as her Twitter bio says, she's an assistant head teacher in North London and the author of a couple of education books. Zoe spoke last week at New Voices about grammar not being the enemy of creativity with her husband, who I gather is also a teacher. He must be, otherwise he wouldn't have been talking with her. Um, so he has two cats and many plants. Lastly, I'm talking to Lucy, who I roped in at the last minute last night. Lucy is not a fan of Twitter or teaching stuff at the weekend. Um, she's come on because I can't possibly waffle for half an hour. Uh, she helped me out at New Voices last weekend by being an amazing kitchen assistant. And we actually enjoyed a few cocktails last night. So I already know her favourite one. I'm still going to ask her. Lucy is actually a teacher in Essex and like Zoe, she has two cats, total coincidence. But then I suppose lots of people have got two cats. Lucy's are called Sooty and Sweep. I don't know what Zoe's are called. I will ask her in a minute. She, Lucy, is teaching year three at the moment. Uh, I'm not going to get a lot of education talk from her, but that's okay. <laughs> so a bit about my week. I'm still loving life in reception. This week I discovered coloured sand which I have decided is my new favourite thing. It's very versatile, coloured sand. It helps transform a tough tray, which if you are not EYFS, you might not know what it is. It's like a, essentially a huge plastic tray with steep sides that you can put messy stuff in. And you can transform any tough tray into a variety of landscapes, which if you've been following my tweets since I've been in reception, Small world is one of my favourite things. So next week, this week I had a fairy garden with loads of glitter. I think I took a picture of it. And next week I've got polar bears and makeshift icebergs with this white sand. It's like a snow shaker. And the kids really loved the fairy garden. So I'm hoping for the same for this Arctic landscape. I also found some multicoloured styrofoam packing pellets, which I tweeted about in the back of my cupboard. I'm going to be using these next week for repeating patterns. That's a mathematical objective, by the way, if you're four. 
And uh, I was going to put them on wooden skewers, but they're really lethal. I got this splinter stuck in my thumb that's still there. In fact, Lucy told me last night I need to get some magnesium sulfate to remove it. That was a pearl of wisdom from her mother. I will get some of that and I will let you know if the splinter comes out. The, the small children won't be using the deadly skewers. They're going to be using thin wire that I found to make their repeating patterns with these styrofoam pellets. So uh, on to some Twitter news. I was once again accused of trolling yesterday for saying the Beatles weren't particularly good. If you want to text in your opinions on that, I will read them out. I mean, trolling, I don't know. My favourite response was from someone called Gamma, who wrote, you're a teacher, embarrassed for you. <laughs> your was spelt U-R, but they did get embarrassed, right? So I'm thinking the U-R was unnecessary abbreviation. Anyway, Gamma, if you're listening, unlikely. I'm sorry the tweets moved you to embarrassment for me. It was not intended. Andrew Old responded to that Beatles tweet. He sent me one of his usual gifts, uh, the McDonald's, here's that attention you ordered. You see, I don't get that. Everyone on Twitter is attention seeking. It's performance thinking, or in his case, performative arguing. I don't think he's listening today, but feel free to disagree via text, Andrew. I never blocked you. I will read out what you said. Okay, my cocktail of the week is an Americano. I saw someone drinking one of these last night with Lucy, and I asked them what it was. One, because I thought I need a cocktail of the week, but also it looked really pretty. It's pink and unusual. It was very low key. It was just pink with a lemon slice in it, and I didn't know what it was. And he said, it's an Americano. And I had to look up what was in it. So to make an Americano, you need Campari club soda and a slice of lemon. That's basically it. Uh, I'm going to start trying, trying to drink one of those. It looked much more sophisticated than what I was drinking, which was pretty much an ice cream with a Kinder Bueno in it. I don't think it had any alcohol, actually. It just was like a milkshake. It was really nice. Now, I'm going to link this Americano, handy he's American, to my educationalist of the week, who is E.D. Hirsch of the Knowledge Deficit fame. And Hirsch is, of course, American like I just said. Now, Hirsch is 93 years old. Don't think he's died. I did just Google him. And he is Professor Emeritus, is that how you say it? At the University of Virginia. Now, his, favorite, uh, his very famous book, The Knowledge Deficit, I've got a copy here, has got emblazoned across the front, Closing the Shocking Education Gap for American Children. It's pretty, you know, hardcore, isn't it? Closing the shocking education gap for American children. Now, if you haven't read it, they're tough words. I'm going to read you a few extracts, which I think more or less summarise his argument. And he was really super influential and is still in influential in our schools. When I, I'll, I'll tell you what I think about it in a minute. So here it is at the beginning. The public sees, oh, I need my glasses. I can't see anything. I'm getting old. Here we are. The public sees that something is badly amiss in the education of our young people. Employers now often need to rely on immigrants from Asia and Eastern Europe to do the math, he's American, that our own high school graduates cannot do. We score low among developed nations in international comparisons of science, math and reading. 
This news is in fact more alarming than most people realise, since our students perform relatively worse on the international comparisons the longer they stay in schools. In the fourth grade, American students score ninth in reading among 35 countries, which is respectable. By 10th grade, they score 15th in reading among 27 countries, which is not promising at all for their and our economic future. That's pretty much the first paragraph. Now I'm going to go on and read a couple more extracts. Uh, we've got a subheading. This is all from chapter one, by the way. The curse of romantic ideas. The reason for this state of affairs tragic for millions of students as well as for the nation is that an army of American educators and reading experts are fundamentally wrong in their ideas about education especially about reading comprehension. See where he's going with this. Now I've just got to tell you what he thinks romanticism is. The fundamental idea of romanticism is that there isn't any boundary between the natural and the divine. Kind of Rousseau-ish you know. Children can naturally learn. And then he goes on to say, of course, historians don't always call these ideas romanticism. They have given them special American names. It's like sarcasm dripping off this. They call Emerson and Thoreau transcendentalists. They call John Dewey, the father of present day American education, a pragmatist or progressive. There you go, progressive. But progressivism in education is just another name for romanticism. Within Dewey's writings, Remember, I did Dewey a few weeks ago. Within Dewey's writings about education beats the heart of a romantic. And we are supposed to think that's a very bad thing. So in essence, what Hirsch is saying is that romantics, by which he means progressive educationists, fault, it's their fault, that there is a reading comprehension gap in American schools and that learning is not natural. And in order to comprehend, he does go on to talk about like knowledge. Uh, you need not only phonics, but lots of knowledge lots of knowledge um, and I think we can all see how much his ideas have caught on. So that's E.D. Hirsch everybody, my educationalist of the week and if you want to text something about him, if you've read the book and you know it better than me um, or you want to say whether the, the effect it's had on the curriculum is good or bad or you're indifferent to it, please do text something. I will definitely read it out. Okay, uh, Lastly, I have to read out my Twitter question of the week, otherwise people will stop answering it, which was, what is the best or worst education policy or initiative ever and why? Got quite a few responses to that. Laura McInerney, she was a guest a few weeks ago, she thought the best was the national curriculum and the worst was the decision in the 50s to cut back on rebuilding schools properly. And David Shepherd thought the most transformative was the progressing, progressive raising of the school age. Probably have to agree with him there. The worst, the abolition of Sure Start. Somebody called LJ uh, was agreed abolishing Sure Start was terrible and didn't like the grant maintained schools, thought it was a waste of money. Somebody said EPQ was best. I don't actually know what EPQ is. Uh, Tabitha fellow presenter, uh, who's been doing it a lot longer than me and probably does it a lot better, uh, said the reformed English language GCSE is the worst thing. And lots of people agreed with her. I don't really know what that is. I'm sure it's bad. Fee Brewer, who I read out one of her answers last week, I think, or the week before, said the initial teaching alphabet 
I don't actually know what that is. But she said it was a complete nightmare for everybody. Uh, Barbara Blemon, league tables, thought they were awful. Somebody just called teacher. Teacher behaved. Uh, academies, huge amounts of effort and money poured into something that wouldn't work, uh, but they keep ploughing on. Best, the literacy and numeracy focus in primary. Dr. Gareth Bates, the 1870 Education Act. Now, if I know my Victorian stuff, that's about getting kids out of factories and into school. Fair enough, Gareth, I agree with you. Uh, Andy Stanley, the 11 plus, thought that was awful. And then, which my mum would agree with Andy there. I mean, she failed it, even though she was clever. And she went back to university when she was an adult. But it really scarred her going to the secondary modern, well, scarred her view of herself, um, shall we say, as being academic. Okay, I've been waffling a long, long time. I'm going to ask Zoe to call in while I put on the first set of adverts. So, Zoe, hope you're there. You need to call in now and I will answer you. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the Assertive Leadership and the Emotionally Intelligent Leader courses. All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Hi, Zoe, are you there? I'm here. Hi, Jane. Hi. I thought there was another advert then. Uh, <laughs> thanks. For, Just sat waiting. Thanks for sticking around. I know you've got a nail appointment um, this <laughs> afternoon. Do you know what? I have to Strong start. Off... <laughs> I have to start off with your cat's names because I said I was going to, not the educational cocktail. What are your cats called, Zoe? Um, one's called Yorick Bernison and one's called Lyra, and they are the characters from the... Yeah, the Golden um, Northern Light. Yeah, yeah Northern exactly, Light. the trilogy. Yeah, yeah. That's, so that's what that's that. So just perfectly normal is cat Yorick, names. Is Yorick a polar bear type cat? He's very big. He's a massive bear cat, yeah, and she's quite slight. Um, and they were sort of... Um, 
not I mean are they friends do cats have friends I don't know um they were sort of friends on the street they were little stray cats and they were found on a little mattress like and she was sort of sheltering underneath him so there was it was quite appropriate but yeah that's that's what they've that's what they're named at the moment they're not rescue cats and very for an English teacher so that's exactly exactly we like to keep yeah keep the trend going (laughs) so so Zoe have you got me an education cocktail well, is this also, this has caused quite a lot of discussion with a lot of my colleagues and friends this week. Do we mean like if I were to describe my ethos in a cocktail or like me as a cocktail or? Either of those v- would do. Either of I mean, okay. I do, you see what I do. I just try and link it. In any <laughs> Some sort of tenuous way. link. Got it. Um, in that case, it may have already been done, but I'm going to go with um, an espresso martini because it's a bit of a classic. And in some ways I'm quite traditional at heart, but I basically run entirely on caffeine. So that that's sort of my um, spurious link there. And also that's they're cool. just delicious. I don't like them at all. <gasps> I, think- I think we need to end this call. <laughs> <laughs> Blocked. It's Somebody- done. That's it. Cancelled. Somebody unfollowed me because I don't like the Beatles. So, you know, I've, wow. been, I've been unfollowed or blocked for lesser things. For lesser Twitter things. is a brutal landscape. It is, it isn't absolutely it? absolutely is. So yeah. you are classic but and you run on coffee. I can, I can agree with that. Like, I mean, oh, gosh, can you still hear me? I knocked yeah, my yeah. earphones out then. No, you're good. You're good. It's terrible. I've got like two laptops open here. But it's all... <laughs> quite stressful okay it's all very professional don't worry it's great massively professional so you're going to tell me now hopefully a bit about your journey into teaching so people know a little bit more about you I did say you've been teaching eight years and you're an assistant head at the beginning but I don't know if people call that no it's fine I think it's ten, it might be 10 now um it's that might 10. be old 10 now maybe um so it was all I ever really wanted to do actually from when I was in primary school myself was be a primary school teacher it was that or being a blue peter presenter and in some ways you know there's overlap there um and so that was that was all that was all that I wanted to do and that's quite an achievable dream in some ways because that's got a clear route into it so I became a teacher in 2010 um, under I guess the coalition at that point and I loved it it was just like super keen worked all hours type NQT and then got my first assistant headship after my fourth year because you know after four years you know everything right you know what else <laughs> what else is there to learn you must I'm have ready. impressed everyone Zoe <laughs> I, mm, uh, yeah I think so I definitely talked myself into a job I potentially wasn't ready for and it was a job in a school that requires improvement capital R capital I and I was like you know I've worked in two outstanding schools it's like I, I can do this this is you know obviously I couldn't do it actually it, re- it very nearly broke me trying to oh, work yeah. in that school and trying to get that school to the place it needed to be to avoid it being closed or the head teacher losing their job and to get these children from a sort of far below national expectation starting point to even just meeting. And it just meant doing things that I didn't always feel comfortable with, like 80% maths and English curriculum, where, you know, everything else is cut down. And that's not a blame at any one person. That's just, there was such, oh, I've this, worked this, in this, you know, we've like done that. it. We've all done it. Exactly. Um, so after that, I was like, no, enough. And I'm done. And I thought it was done. I was like, I genuinely was like, this is me done. I've given... I burnt myself out here and so went and wrote a book for a year traveled around and a friend said what do you want to try the independent sector and I really really didn't actually because I'd never set foot in an independent school and had quite a lot of views about what that would be like sort of mainly based on um reading St Trinian's or Prime Minister talking about Eton or my husband talking about horror stories from his school in the 90s and I just I really wasn't sure it was for me 
Um, but she was like, if, if your frustrations are behavior, if your frustrations are this narrowed curriculum to get through these assessments, those frustrations will be relieved. There's, there's other challenges, of course, but why don't you go and see? So I did. I, I went and I got a job in a school in North London, an independent school. And five years later, I'm still there because I wasn't meant to love it, but I do, <laughs> um, which has been an interesting sort of journey for me, sort of measuring up, I don't know, political beliefs and that sort of thing with being a genuinely lovely place to work and realizing that all children deserve good teachers no matter their background and yeah that's that's sort of yeah, where I am today I, I know another teacher at your school quite well and she said that the, I think she's listening head... actually is she hi Joanna so. <laughs> <laughs> another um she said that your head likes teachers who've worked in state yeah. schools because she Big thinks fan. that they're yeah. better is that true yeah I don't, know if she'd say, I don't know if she'd say better. She brought me to say that, but okay. she certainly... <laughs> well, I'm going to be really careful here with my words. Then. But she definitely does. And a lot of our yeah, teachers have come from the state sector. Yeah, they, yeah they that's have. interesting. And I like yeah. what you said about all, all children deserve good teaching because I think I was very anti-independent schools for ages and ages. And I was like, well, hang on a second. They're just kids. They're like, just children. You know, yeah. yeah, like kids who, who are disadvantaged. Yeah. And, even though I had a vocation to work with disadvantaged kids, I think that that, that wanes over the, over time and it's just you do start loving just teaching and all children yeah. are very similar, really. They um, are. And what, yeah, and it, there are less constraints, I can imagine, when you've got, yeah. you know, the resources are there and the parents are always super supportive. And you've got no SATs. So you think about, if you think what you could do with your curriculum if you yeah, didn't I have to, forgetting to about do that. that, you could just sort of pick the best of what you want them to learn and, and run with it and teach them things for the joy of it. That's, that's the real freedom. I think for me is that there's absolutely your curriculum is decided by what you want these children to learn rather than these sort of narrow assessments at the end of, of year six. And it's not even the assessments themselves. I feel like it's the way the data is used for SATs that I, I think I have the main objection to, um, but because that's what creates the pressure in that narrowing of that curriculum. I'm sort yeah, of skipping loads very- of questions at once, but yeah. <laughs> No, it's fine. I mean, it is really pressurised in primary schools at the moment. And I I, I dislike the SATs for that very reason, mm, for the, yeah. the focus on it and because of the data it generates. Not necessarily because the content you're teaching is, is bad. Like, I quite no. like the, the way um, maths has become uh, much more... You know, there's much more the reasoning and all of that that mastery that we've yeah I think that what's happened in the maths curriculum has been quite incredible actually in the last the five fluency, years the yeah. fluency drive was great I, I really times liked, tables all of that yeah, yeah. I liked that I did really like it I thought it made it made teaching maths better and um yeah that you were giving them a much better grounding yeah not so um not so happy with with what's going on with EYFS and um mm, yeah English but uh yeah we'll see and the I just think the way the curriculum is getting ridiculously overloaded now. anyway this is not about my opinions I'm going to move on <laughs> <laughs> I did fun. say for the next question I was going to ask you the best thing about your job let's mm, I mean well that is that is one of the things is that the, my particular my role at the moment is I'm in charge I'm the academic assistant head so I'm in charge of curriculum and assessment and everything in between and so to have be the person that gets to decide essentially what our children learn and how they learn it and all those sorts of things and obviously it's not just me deciding that but to be guiding that is is a real privilege um, and also I, what I love about teaching more generally is how absolutely every day is completely different 
Like there's just yeah. no, and, and there's, there's, there's a real, what I love is the mix of the variety, but also the consistency of the annual routines, which I find quite comforting. So I'm someone that likes a bit of variety day to day, but I find it very reassuring that we're like, oh, it's Harvest Festival again, or, oh, we're going to start practicing for the concert, or it's time to do World Book Day. These little sort of markers throughout the year that come back round, I really quite enjoy. But day to day, very few two days are the same. And I, I love yeah. that sort of mix of it. I love Christmas in schools. I've always oh, loved it's wonderful. Christmas in schools. But you are coming into it. Big- make such a big deal of it and it's always so exciting for the children i i think it's the best job at christmas to have for sure it's starting okay, next week isn't it for us christmas it'll start pretty much in the next yeah. two weeks i'm sure yeah probably um <laughs> yeah that's a really interesting answer the the routine i'd never considered that but it's certainly something that appeals to me as well i do like the fact that you've got those markers and you you know mm. what's coming okay and also you can improve year on year out oh like it's easter i've got my fabergé my fabergé egg lesson that i'm going to roll out but it's a different year group and i'm going to make it better this year so it's kind of nice you can you can uh yeah improve year on year out because it's the same thing again okay so i'm going to ask you about something that you would change to improve things for teachers or students or both so many things I was trying to think about this and I was trying to pin down what would vastly improve it and I don't think there's any any single change to I don't know a marking policy that you can necessarily make the things I came up with was one massive investment in early years I just think that's where we need to be putting our focus because I think what we we'd make life so much easier for so many teachers in the long run if there'd been much heavier investment and time in the early years to really let children develop at the pace they need to and work on a lot of that sort of social stuff and getting them ready for school at the right pace and even yeah, just I investment in staff about, there yeah I could do and, with about five, five more people yeah in of course you could yeah <laughs> I did two days in reception need, last week and nearly killed me it was just they, they need do. people to talk to. They're all on you all the time. And obviously they need these high quality conversations with the adults around them. That's how they're learning. And one, you can't do all this whole class teaching. This is why they're going for the drive of whole class teaching through YFS. because It's cheaper. But actually you can't do that for ages with four-year-olds. You just can't. Like they can't sit for longer than 15 minutes without getting no. a bit fidgety. They're four. Particularly if they're four-year-olds who don't have English as a first language and perhaps don't speak English at home. So their only role model for English is their teacher. So if, if you've got that, I mean, all four-year-olds need those one-to-one conversations. But particularly if you are the only way they're going to pick up using this language other than the, the conversations with their peers. But their peers are only four. So, That's yeah, abs- yeah. Absolutely. The other thing I did think was, again, it's just that use of that data in, in year six that I think is one of the biggest bugbears. It's not the fact we're testing them. I don't mind tests. It's just the fact that schools live or die by this data each each year, essentially. Mm. Um, and so it just if, changes the whole climate in a school yeah, after totally. after an Ofsted or an Ofsted's coming. And it's always it's always about the data. Whatever they're yeah. saying to do with the curriculum, oh, yeah, yeah, we're doing deep dives into this, that, and music. No, it isn't. It's about whether or not you've got whatever your target for Key Stage 2 is and the progress from Key Stage 1 and now from the baseline. It's always about that. It's, it's, that's it. It's a really, really just, it's also that whole ranking schools and just mm. no sense of schools, individual context, all of those things that we've just, we know what that does to schools. I, I wouldn't even want to necessarily even get rid of the idea of an end of school assessment, but just let it be for the schools. Let that be for the school's knowledge to have. It doesn't have to be published assessment data that compares schools to other schools around the country, because I just don't, 
I don't think you necessarily can compare like for like when it comes to schools. It's, they're, they're so no, different and it just, it just doesn't work like that. No, I'm completely with you on both of those things. So, yeah, no well, arguments that's good. from me. <laughs> we got uh, over the so... awkward bit about the cocktail, so that's good. We've moved on. <laughs> yeah, we've moved on. <laughs> Not going to drop my, my next question was, and you don't have to have an opinion on this. I don't even think I have particularly. Do you have a uh, best or worst um, education policy? So, again, I was, again, I I sort of, of, some time, it's, it's hard to pinpoint one policy, isn't it? Because yeah. the things that I find frustrating about education or the things I enjoy about education are normally the result of several policies or several sort of direction policies have taken so i'm not sure i'm not sure if i do actually that's yeah i'm glad you give me a little way out of that out. one because that's yeah fine. i was going to ask you about an education secretary then and i thought no that was a couple of weeks ago you don't have a favorite education secretary do you no. i mean who what who's been educated so we've had since i've become a teacher no, the only one we had, I ever we, had, <laughs> we had govey we had nikki morgan um we had who do we have after nikki morgan Oh, goodness, only knows. I remember them when they're in. <laughs> when they're there, we, we're aware. But do you know, I've worked for lots of Was heads. Was Justin Greening it for a while? Yeah, well, I've worked for lots of heads. And when I talk about the educators, they don't know who they are either. Head teachers have not known in the past. So, I mean, they come and go with such frequency. I don't think it really matters. Yeah, I, think, I mean, um, Nadine, uh, Nadine right, Zahawi. Zahawi. Yeah, Nadine, yeah. He, he started off strong, didn't he? And then he quickly... <laughs> He quickly I've, lost all favour by saying. Oh no! Wait, what's me. happened? I've mi- I've definitely missed a bit there. It's I think something I haven't... like yesterday that everybody. Oh really? Oh, I'm at... Yeah. I can't remember what it was. Oh, but so about money, it was. I think uh... it was, we we get paid an average of forty one thousand or something, which oh. obviously isn't. Which obviously no. isn't. The average. I think he That's said that. Interesting. That's interesting. I mean, to be fair, he's got in some ways he's got it quite easy because he's following. Not the strongest education secretary, you know. He's oh, Gavin, Gavin Williamson. Good old Gavin. Oh, Gavin. <laughs> oh, Gavin. Yeah. So, I, I, in some ways, the bar's quite low at the moment. You just, yeah, you can't yeah. do much wrong, can he? Okay. So, right now, we've 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 properly had a go at all the education secretaries. Yeah, done that. Uh, do you feel the political drive towards a knowledge-rich curriculum? <sighs> this is my link to Edie Hirsch. Yes, way, of course. Has been helpful, and was it needed? Really interesting. I, I feel like I've come full circle on this. I just don't. I just. I just keep going back and forth because what I find really difficult about this is the fact there's absolutely no space for nuance. You're either pro knowledge or you're pro skills, apparently, and that is it. And never the two shall meet. And I just don't think that's how most teachers think. I don't think it's how most teachers function. I don't. I definitely. When I started my career, I worked in quite a progressive school, so it was a sort of school where um, we didn't have worksheets. Worksheets were banned because that's bad um, and the, can't, can't have a, I don't know universally was, worksheets have been thought of, ba- of they have bad. and I understood like like and oh gosh yeah and I don't get me started on twinkle twinkle's a different thing but like works I'm just at any a pro worksheets. twinkle school at the moment but what it did mean is if you ban teachers making a worksheet for you say I was in year one what that means in you know summer term year one is what you have to find is 
lots and lots of very practical ways for them to generate numbers to create calculations. And sometimes the, the numbers they find don't work at all. So you've got them suddenly, you get into, I don't know, roll a dice or do a little number spinner. And they're like, oh, I've, I've done 16. I'm going to take away 29. And you're like, no. And so it just, it just led to me spending hours making spinners and then not really working. And then me just put, couldn't I've just put like eight sums on a sheet and they could have just done that. And it might have just been better for everyone. Um, but so I said, so it was that sort oh, of thing. Your point, yeah. And that that was that was quite a challenge in some ways, um, but it was it was it was all sort of skills based, and it was often about learning dispositions, which I think a lot of schools have carried on with. And then over time, oh, don't think- talk to me about that. The, I had I worked in a school once where we had to de- practically demonstrate things like resilience by dropping it's an very egg. Hard. And and a rubber ball on the floor. Oh, and I was like, oh, just, no, come on. All I, I just, need to do yeah. is tell the children what resilience is. I do not need to drop an egg and a bouncy ball to show them this. I think that's it, isn't it? I think, like anything, it's not that knowledge is bad. It's not that skills are bad. It's just we've both seen examples where things have gone to the extreme. And I think I've been doing quite a lot about knowledge in my school at the moment because I'm looking at the curriculum. And I was like, you know, what we teach and the order in which we teach it is important. However, it's also not our only purpose as a primary school, particularly as a primary school. Part of our purpose is to get them to love coming to school every day. Part of our purpose is to get them working together. Part of our purpose is to get them asking questions. And obviously part of our purpose is to instill a huge amount of knowledge in them. Of course, I'd never say that isn't our purpose, but there's other things we have to do. Um, so I just, Tabitha I don't like... something really interesting that Tabitha, yeah. one of the hosts, and she said that... Uh, you forget most of the knowledge that you have for GCSEs, which is true. Oh, so true. You yeah. forget it. So is the knowledge that important? <laughs> or even is like... just the means to an end? It's what I find really interesting is if you've forgotten it, did you ever... There's that debate, isn't yeah. there? If you can no oh, longer no, use it or remember it, do you actually know it? Anymore. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. And just to, I got enough to scrape my, my GCSEs and A-levels of certain subjects. No, A-levels were stronger because you get to, I had to pick three. I could find three subjects I was good at, but I couldn't find many, many more that I could do at GCSE. But I and scraped I enough. After I've read them, I, I absolutely forget them. That's why I can read them a couple of years later. And I'm like, oh, that's surprising. I didn't know that happened. I just forget them. So, I guess that's because the debate is, is because we're not using it or discussing them anymore or using that knowledge. If we if we talked about it every week since we'd done that in GCSE, we'd probably still have that knowledge. The debate is, is that a good use of our time, I guess, isn't it? Is that what we want to be doing for the every week? Or because the idea being that if you with, retrieve that knowledge or apply it in some way, then you, you won't forget it. But yeah. it's, yeah, how much time do you we give to that? All, do we? We don't need all, all, all these buckets of knowledge. It's, it's a means to an end. It's about how well you can think. And also what you've got to I think about think, too, I guess, if you've got I mean, things always, to think about. I was always looking forward to university because I thought it was about thinking rather than knowledge, yeah. which I'm much more interested in. Thinking about a new thing, not not learning. Lo- I mean, that's what makes everybody excited about learning surely it's it's the thinking part it's not that oh I know this I can answer I don't but then but then you need something to think about don't you some a starting point and it has to be Mm. it doesn't have to be a knowledge it could be an idea I suppose it depends I mean I think of you as very knowledgeable I've I've, I think of you as someone that's sort of got a wealth of knowledge but that's that's really interesting that you wouldn't necessarily I've forgotten Mm. I I think yeah the stuff that I knew um but anyway like I have to come up with anything particularly I think you're you're you were much more coherent than me and yeah 
Is it a no. good thing though? Should we should we end on a knowledge-rich curriculum being? A good what I have thing noticed is in two minds. In, yeah, I'm very much in two months. In the independent sector, a lot of those children leave with that knowledge by osmosis. They're in families where they're discussing these things and they have a good knowledge of the classics and they know about classical composers and they know about all of this. If our children in the state sector are going to be able to compete for jobs and interview places and university places with them, do we owe it to them to expose them to that? Or just if their only chance of learning about these things is at school... Why, why limit them? Why shouldn't we expose them to these things? But obviously you could have infinite knowledge and it's the, the curriculum is the decisions you make about what knowledge to yeah, teach. It's, it's about, yeah, what is what is the valued knowledge? And what do you not teach? Cultural, yeah, Cultural capital. But then if you are a child like I was who never listened to anything anybody ever told them, I went and sought out <laughs> the knowledge that I wanted. And it yeah. was niche knowledge. And I think it's what eventually got me into university because I'd read the stuff that wasn't actually on the reading list, but I was interested in and they thought that was good. Yeah. And I don't know whether are, are we still valuing that are we valuing independent thinkers who go off and seek out other bodies of knowledge that you know I was reading obscure feminists and theory that, yeah. that nobody was introducing me to necessarily I got introduced to Plath and that was it and I went off and read read the other things around it because I was like oh this is quite cool and that is the risk if they only read what we ask them to read then we're very much in control of what they are thinking about absolutely and, and what you do want is them to have enough of a curiosity that they're going to go beyond that aren't they the light in the fire rather yeah than the that spark you have, yeah you have to light the fire and Eugene uh it was two weeks ago because it's new voices last week he said oh um set fire to the bucket I'm like well the bucket's not going to get set fire <laughs> to it's full of water I didn't think of that at the time but it's not you know we're just pouring in you didn't this, heckle <laughs> just... no also yeah he, I, I just have to be thankful anybody comes and talks to me on a Saturday afternoon on live not that we this is our second yet. Saturday together Jane we did last Saturday together <laughs> at New Voices and it's just what we do now <laughs> just have to put a label on it um yeah I I I didn't say it at the time I think unless you have a connection to the knowledge it and the fire hasn't been lit you know you're just walking around with this pail of knowledge this bucket of water okay let's move on <laughs> I think we answered that one. Uh, talk, talk to me. I, sorry, Justin. I know he's waiting to come on, but it's going to be a little bit later. But I know Lucy does not want to talk for very long, so we'll have plenty of time. Um, I'm talking to I know he's waiting. I'm not going anywhere. Um, tell me about grammar not being the enemy of creativity. Because mm. I didn't get your talk. I'm sorry. I was in Don't my worry. safe place in the kitchen, which is what Ruth calls it. At new voices making cocktails for us all so that's completely place. allowed absolutely okay. um so the key point really was that it was it was based on this like it, it was in no way a defense of the spag test i don't think i could ever defend that to be honest i think that's the opposite of how we should be Awful. teaching grammar i think Awful i think thing. you teach i think you teach grammar for making meaning for reading for writing and it was much more about it, it started with the um in lockdown, the fronted adverbial became sort of public enemy number one. And I found it quite interesting because the fronted adverbial is a, is a long name for quite a simple concept, really. And I think my point was more that this is just a shared terminology we use with children. And we don't mind having this shared terminology in maths or in phonics even. We talk about split diagraphs. We talk about trigraphs, graphemes, phonemes. I have to use um, digraph with four-year-olds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. And I think actually these terms often describe concepts 
we all know or understand to a point, but they just sound quite off-putting. But actually, if we can use them with our children, we can use them in quite a meaningful way. And we looked at what we did in the talk, which showed sort of how you could use it to give feedback to children. So how once they know and understand about sentence structure, the sorts of things you could do with their writing and that sort of thing. And just it's just more that, that it's not about whether you have a rigorous grammar curriculum or a creative writing curriculum, but that actually the two can work together quite nicely. However, the big, the big sort of you know flaw in that is is the spag test because that that makes grammar about being able to spot I don't know a adverb in a sentence, which is a completely pointless activity in my opinion. <laughs> like it's it's a very strange. About the spag test, um, I think she is everything they need to know to pass the test in probably a week and for the test and then they'll forget it after yeah. i'm not saying i've ever done this by the way like not <laughs> i actually think you could cram that knowledge into children it, when they're in sats mode so they're absorbing all the stuff for their sats anyway it's probably the best time to catch them for that because it's just you it's know like what, what's that the subjunctive the subjunctive i yeah, actually the subjunctive mood. the day yeah. before the day before. Yeah, it's fresh in the heads. <laughs> it's just <laughs> like doing all the revision the night before. Like, go, 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 get it done. Well, but that's it. That's... One mark, this is a one mark um, answer yeah. that you're going to need to know tomorrow. And you're going to forget it if I told you three months ago, because it's not very useful knowing what a subjunctive is. But, you know, anyway. Yeah, I hate the spag test. but um, <laughs> that's. I think that's not a very controversial hate... opinion. I reckon that one wouldn't get you blocked on Twitter. I don't know. No, Might do. I, I don't. Know don't hate grammar and I wasn't taught it well enough when I was at school I no neither was I I went on a writing course many years ago and the author oh, interesting. said to me the author said to me you need to learn how to use a semicolon Jane <laughs> at the point you know I was in my 30s and I was like oh you know I've been a teacher for a while I should really know how to use them. <laughs> probably should have grasped this but but if no one's taught you how are you gonna know like I don't well, I went this. away and tried to learn it I still don't think I think it's something that and then you look at writers somebody was tweeting the other day about writers who kind of break all the grammar balls and yeah like, you can do what you want when you write that's it yeah. so much of it comes down to personal taste as well in, in some in some aspects of grammar so um mm. my head teacher at the moment is a big fan of a semicolon so whenever I send her a document or just <laughs> chuck a few in and she's like I enjoyed those I was like thought you would um, because people do have their preferences it's stylistic as uh, much as anything else but there are some things like being able to just compose a simple or complex sentence and that, that I just think if once you've got those right you're free to just run yes, right and I get think, going I think teaching children an embedded clause um mm. is is great you know it's a breakthrough they make normally in year four year five I don't know when and then they, they put them in every sentence <laughs> like, it's too much now if they can embed a clause it's great for their their writing it does bring them on okay I'm gonna go on to slightly lighter subject matter no uh, might, I might skip out the edu twitter beneficial thing we could skirt over it quickly if you want yeah, fine. I really do want to talk about the foods for the rest of your life one. sure no but do you think edu twitter is is beneficial i mean twitter as a whole I, I swing between being like this is an absolute cesspit and the worst thing to ever happen to political discourse because it's stripped away any nuance and you're either one thing or the other you're pro this or you're not pro this and it is a bit a, that, but then it? equally it, it can be like that but equally i've met some brilliant people on it and some fantastic opportunities have come through it and i just I can never sort of separate the two. I have a real love-hate with it. I think it's not necessarily been that good for the world. 
Um, but I think if you curate, curate your timeline carefully enough, you can you can have a fairly positive experience. Um, the thing but, I like is it's connected me to teachers that I never would yeah. have known before and secondary teachers as well. I mean, I know everyone thinks I'm anti-secondary, but actually I've met some of the nicest uh, teachers yeah. I know through Twitter and they're secondary teachers and really developed my thinking towards education stopped me having some quite outdated ridiculous views which I think I did have in the early days so it's been pretty we good. all do though and that's part of yeah I think a lot of any sort of I hadn't read a single education which is quite something given that I became a teacher I don't think I'd read a single what would be considered an educational book about education from cover to cover until I got to Twitter and people started saying oh I've read no, this it was really interesting which but and I don't which feels really embarrassing to say now but well, I mean, yeah because now I just have a, only uni though you know but yeah, beyond that, that's it for like for leisure in my own time. And it was people were having these discussions about things. But why doesn't that happen on Facebook? What's happened there? Why is oh, it? Just, why, why is it I a different? Do, I don't do. It's a different Facebook. place. It's just this very different. It's a different world. It's not. A I good gave place. up on Facebook. There's only so much time in my life for social media, and Twitter yeah. seems to take up all of that. Um, yeah, you've got to you've got to narrow it down in some way, haven't you? And it's already a bit of a time waster in some, t- you know, and, and that's just one platform. Be. Yeah, it, can. it really can. If you if you start having an argument and then people oh, it can go on. You feel the need to defend yourself, which I do. You can wait a day and a half and then oh, what did I do that? For? It's just and it can be as draining so, yeah. as an actual face to face argument because you're just there and like you'll get your yeah, adrenaline up and it'll do all of the same sort of thing to your feelings. So yeah, it can. It can be a real a sap on your energy you and time. But also you can avoid that. It's just you can. You can. Yeah. Hard. Okay. If you had to live on three foods for the rest of your life, what would they be? It's just so hard. I've got two. Desert island. Desert island. Desert island. Oh, no, but what about, I mean, but like taking out things like I won't ever get scurvy if I don't eat oranges and stuff, right? I'll be fine, yeah, if I don't have yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I'll be fine, yeah? No scurvy. Okay, so definitely cheese. Cheese, cheese is my absolute favorite so generally the thing most people know about myself and my husband is that we had no we didn't have a cake at our wedding we had 18 kilograms of cheese stacked up like a cake yeah we're quite big cheese fans so that would have to be one um pasta because you've got to have something to carry the cheese some we don't have to you can just eat it like a hand fruit but yeah pasta would definitely be that is that's my sort of go-to macaroni cheese for the rest of your life should i just do that should i just have that i could just stop there i mean that's i haven't really got a sweet tooth you wouldn't have any meat. I'd have to have no, a I don't meat, eat meat product. Oh, you don't? Uh, no. Obviously yeah, not. Yeah, <laughs> so that narrows it down for me a bit. That's yeah, it. it does. That I'd have tomatoes. It. Yeah, I was wondering about something like that. Yeah. Think I'm about Italian. my meal options. Yeah. I'm Italian. You have to have tomatoes. You have okay. to. Okay. So, uh, so Justin. I mean, I'll probably... <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. Do you want to go and get Justin? We can, no, we can... no, I don't because I want to ask these and also Lucy won't <laughs> want to talk for more than five minutes. Um, if you had to go backwards and forwards in time, where would you go? Who would you meet? Oh, I think even though there's lots of people I'd like to meet in the past, I still feel like going backwards is always going to be quite dangerous because, you know, what if you get an infected tooth and there's no, like, antibiotics? Or there's oh, no one yeah. What if you go to pre-anaesthetic and you end up... So I just... I feel like I'd probably yeah, go forwards. Sarah Ledger, Sarah Ledger was, was, would go back to, like, Hadrian's Wall or something. And be Which like, would be amazing, but, you know, it, it, you could be in a lot of pain or 
die quite quickly and that's I think I'd go for but then I'm also not that optimistic about the future so I just don't actually (laughs) I'm also worried that if I went any more than say 500 years I'd just be utterly utterly scarred um no I think I'd I think I'd want want to go go forward um but I, I, I really don't have a specific date in mind for you, I'm afraid, because... Okay, so we don't know what I, yeah. we're going to put into your DeLorean. Now, the last no, question... No, we don't at this point. Is, is there anyone off of Edu Twitter or the wider world of education that you would like to meet to meet and talk to? So many people... Well, you and I for ages were like, we must have a cocktail soon. Yeah. And then we did. Yeah. So that was wonderful. Um, Stephen Lockyer, someone I'd really like to meet actually, because he and I've. Is he lovely? He seems lovely. He's very interesting. Yeah, he's lovely. Yeah, he's Um, very interesting, as you would imagine from his tweets. Absolutely, absolutely. I'd also love to meet Mary Myatt. I'd really love to meet her. She's she's just yeah, she's she's very impressive woman, isn't she? Um, I feel like that the Enzers. I feel like as another edgy couple that might be quite good fun. (laughs) Um, No, researched. We not at researched. No, no, I wasn't. No, it was my mum's sixtieth birthday, so she very selfishly celebrated it that day instead i've never been to research yet actually I, but yeah i've i had a ticket this sorry. year but but couldn't go we'll go next year we'll be there we will be there um so yeah i'm that's... gonna get you off my show now thank you all right then so it's been a pleasure yeah go and get your nails absolutely speak to you soon see you next saturday in some way or form maybe oh actually gone and I have to find the news. And I'm going to ask Justin's call in now and apologise profusely for making him wait about 10 minutes longer. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. According to a report for BBC News, inspectors have stated that schools in Wales must improve teaching of Welsh and Black, Asian and minority ethnic histories and cultures. The new curriculum in Wales, set to be rolled out in secondary schools in 2023, requires that all children are taught about racism and BAME communities. The report which was released by Eston and commissioned by the Welsh Government said that teachers needed more professional support. It found that schools in multicultural areas were better at teaching the histories of BAME individuals and communities. Claire Morgan, Chief Inspector for Eston said, the Black Lives Matter movement renewed focus on anti-racism education and the teaching of Black, Asian and minority ethnic history and culture. She added, it's clear that more needs to be done to ensure that teaching and learning represents all of Wales's communities and their international connections. Eston did, however, find many examples where schools were effectively teaching Welsh history and the contributions of ethnic minority individuals in their curriculum. In England, the Education Secretary, Nadim Zahawi, has confirmed that masks could return to schools 
but that there would be no return of bubbles. Nadim Sahawi told Sky News, So the good news is that, and thanks to the brilliant teachers and support staff and parents and children, 99% of schools are open. Attendance has gone up. The last set of figures I looked at was about 90%. That will obviously fluctuate depending on infection rates, but my priority is to protect education and keep those schools open. He added that he had contingency plans, including the wearing of masks, but said, I don't want to return to bubbles because actually you saw the fall off in attendance, which really does harm mental well-being and mental health of children. This has been your daily education news briefing. Hi, Justin, are you there? Good afternoon, Jane. Thank you for I having me on. Uh, no, thank you for waiting around. The thing is, I just, I'm aware my third guest will not talk for very long at all. And I had loads of questions to ask, sorry. So I'm, well, I thought she was brilliant. She, she's great, isn't she? And Far more articulate you, than I'm going to be. Did you see her talk by any chance? No, I didn't, was... unfortunately. I was at one of the other ones. Oh, well, she's got a book. Time. You could read her book. <laughs> I'm sure she'll <laughs> forgive you. Okay, I'm going to start off with um, your educational cocktail, if you don't mind. That's... I'm going to have to cheat a bit because I'm not a huge um, cocktail drinker. But I Fair thought enough. I'd go for the Aperol Spritz for a number of reasons. Um, not just creeping to you because of your Italian <laughs> heritage. Served. And I served it, a new voices. Yeah, and I ended up um, helping out. And I ended up serving uh, Amanda Spiel Spielman with one. You did, didn't you? Yes. I did. So that's my claim to fame. Also the link to um, Montessori um, with Italy. I think the Italian view of childhood... Um, is fantastic. I've only been a few times, but um, the celebration of childhood over there and the appreciation of it, and that comes through in Montessori's approach to education. And I just, she's one of my heroes, so um, I'll go for the Aperol Spritz for that reason. Great. I like the fact you like Italians' um, view of childhood. I, I spend a lot, spent a lot of time in Italy when I was a kid, and they do tend to include you in stuff much more Yes. then I feel British people include their children. Like you you go to the bar with your parents and it's like everything's family, dinner's a family, you stay up later. It's not, you're not like a, ch a child. It's kind of, I, I was surprised when I started talking to my friends when they had babies when I was much younger and that, you know, their kids had a bedtime of like 6.30 or something. Like lots of British people do that to their kids. And I was like, oh, I went to bed when I was tired. And they thought that was neglect. But it, it was kind of more, um, they didn't want to get rid of me. They didn't want adult time like yes. they seem to in Britain. That's the biggest difference that I see as a part Italian. Anyway, thank you for that. So the next thing is a bit about your journey into teaching. You, you've had a, a long career. Well, you're have, still um, in the middle of your career. Well, I didn't want to be a teacher. still in your career. Didn't you? Tell night, me about that. I wanted to be a social worker um, oh. because I'd done some voluntary work when I was a teenager with the National Children's Home. Um, it's now called Action for Children, I think. Um, and I went off and did a degree with the view of becoming a social worker. But I did a placement on the degree where I was, um, I think I was 19 at the time, and I was working with a young man who was probably 17. And the idea was that I would meet him once a week and mentor him. Mm. And 
each day at time I've met him, all we did was talk about the crimes he committed that week um, and whatever strategies I tried. Um, it just didn't seem to have any impact at all. And I think I had that sort of, uh, I don't know, hero complex that I wanted to change mm. lives. And it made me rethink where I wanted to be. And I felt that working with young adults, um, it was too late in some ways. So mm. I, I decided to go into teaching. But at that point, um, I couldn't get in because I think it was Keith Joseph with the Education Secretary who came up with the idea of stopping what was Gove became um, Gove called the Blob. Um, his Joseph said that you couldn't get into teaching unless you had a degree subject, so you couldn't go on a PGCE um, unless you had a curriculum subject. Oh, right, yeah, no, I yeah. remember that. So yeah, yeah you, social work wouldn't have counted then. No, no. so I couldn't get on. Um, and then three things happened. Um, Joseph went. I think Kenneth Baker became Secretary of State for Education. And then um, they realised they'd run out of educational psychologists if they carried on with the policy. Um, mm. And someone dropped out at Manchester University. They contacted me and said, well, if you can come up tomorrow, you can have the place. Wow. So that was Fight. in September. And I'd never been to Manchester, so I got on the train, went and went to a letting agency, got myself a, a tiny attic room somewhere. They, they told me it was Chalton Cum Hardy, which sounded quite posh, but it was actually Moss Side, which wasn't oh, at all. Oh, goodness. Um, so then I became a teacher, but because I didn't have that curriculum subject in my background, I sort of was a class teacher who became a sort of jack of all trades with coordinating different subjects. Um, yeah. And that's where the sort of gender kicked in because it started off with, well, you can do PE and then... It, really? Is that yeah. what said to you? You could do PE because you're a man? Yeah. Or you could do the computers? Did they say that as yeah, well? Yeah, I, I ended up as an ICT coordinator in those. Oh, I, I did no, DT. that's so bad. <laughs> uh, it, was, it, it was basically wherever there was a gap. I didn't, I've coordinated most subjects, but I've never coordinated English because every school I've worked in, there's been a really strong English lead. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I was fortunate, and I was very aware that I was getting opportunities that other teachers, men and women, wouldn't necessarily get because at that point I didn't have children myself. Mm. I didn't have um, my, my parents were okay. And look around nowadays, and so many teachers are caring either for elderly relatives or young children. Um, so I was aware that, and I still am, that I wasn't necessarily the best person in the school to be doing that lead role. I'm sure um, your humbleness actually makes you the best person. I think there are far too many people with messiah complexes in education. Nobody that I'm working for right now, obviously, but you know, like <laughs> I just think I, I would much take a, a humble head over someone who's going around um, thinking they know everything. Somebody who who appreciates the talents of their staff body. So I'm pretty sure that's that's your your way of going about things. We should really talk a bit more about Maria Montessori, maybe a bit later, because. Uh, I don't know much about her, and I'm sure I should. I should know a lot more about her now it, doing EYFS. I probably should get her book out and read it. And it was her when, determination as well. Do you want me to talk now about it, or shall I leave it? You can do, yeah. No? I'm actually really interested. Tell me about her. Um, she went off to be an engineer at one point and then decided to change her mind. And I, I think it's great when people have the courage, having gone so far down a route, to change their mind. So she went into medicine. Um and then she changed her mind again. I think she did actually qualify in the end, but she had a child. Um, and if she'd have got married, that would have been the end of her career. So she decided not to get married. And she studied 
special educational needs, really, and then realised that what she was looking at in terms of child-initiated play um, would benefit all children, which is where the method came from. But I just admire her determination. Those nursery schools, I've seen a few in action, are incredible. I mean, they're they're private, aren't they, the Montessori nurseries? Yes. And so they're always really well-resourced, which I'm super jealous of because like I could probably spend five thousand pounds tomorrow on my setting I'm not saying it's shoddy it's it's got enough stuff but you can just buy so many things for EYFS and I've seen those uh Montessori nurseries and they've got like building tools and the children put them back in exactly the right place and I think you said something to me at New Voices that you're interested in my views of Japan I love it when you make children super independent and the way that the Japanese children were cleaning their school I'm like that's really great you know you're 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 making these small children very responsible for their environment and that for me is that discipline is is fantastic I think she's got that in her pedagogy hasn't she yes Definitely, it's about getting children to, to do things um, well, but independently. The reception teacher where I am now spent a lot of the summer um, making black cutouts of every um, object in the classroom and sticking them onto furniture so the children would know exactly where to place everything, mm. which I, I was fascinated by. I've, I've not seen anyone do it to that extent before. I've taken screenshots of the the toys from the internet and put them on laminated things so they know where to put stuff back. But I haven't had time to do everything yet. But I I think that, yeah, I mean, that's great so that they tidy up properly. Um, Yeah, okay. So the next thing I was going to ask you about was one thing, one change. I know there's a lot of things that we could change, but one change that you would make to improve things for teachers and or students at the moment in education? I'd probably want to do something around transition, um, particularly the primary to secondary transition. I always feel very sorry for year sixes when they're going off to mm-hmm. secondary school. I know we do a certain amount to prepare them, um, but I think it's such a culture shock for some of them, just the size of some of the secondary schools and the change in pedagogy and culture. Mm. I was yeah, I mean, they're enormous, aren't they, compared to primary? Yes. If you come from a one-form entry, like my school is, tiny little school with 200 students, you go into a school of over a 1,000. It must be awful, really. Yes. It, in the 90s, I was working in a primary school next to a secondary school, which was really convenient, and it meant that the um, one of the teachers in the secondary school would come across the year six where I was, and I could take the year six over there. And that seemed to work quite well in terms of preparing them. But nowadays, children go off to loads of different secondary schools. It's much harder to manage that transition. They do. I think we had like 11 schools or something. Mm. We're we're not a feeder school for one school. My secondary only had 400 pupils. It's shut down now, but that was, so it wasn't really a really difficult transition for me. But I definitely think transition needs to be improved for they're very small to go into such a such a huge yes. environment and such a different change of the way. And also, they're becoming very very strict, aren't they? Secondary schools. The biggest feedback I'm having from my students when they go off to secondary is how strict it is compared to primary. And that's not because we let them get away with stuff. It's because they just seem to have like zero tolerance for anything now. You're walking around silently. They have to have their uniform exactly right. Um, and they're not really used to that level of, you know, being on high alert in case that their shirt is slightly out or they're, they've forgotten their tie. Yeah, so I was, yeah. I was shocked. I was in the secondary school and it was a really hot summer's day and a child took their blaze off and got detention immediately. 
Mm. Yeah, and I thought no, it was a reasonable thing to do but on a hot day. Um, but I've perhaps we should be preparing them better. Well, I, I think that the government would like us to be as, as strict in primary, but it just doesn't work like that. You know, you've got them for five hours a day. You see that you would see the effect of you being like that with those children emotionally and you couldn't cope with it. So I suppose yeah. if you're just walking down the corridor and you're like, you've got a detention and then you don't have to see them again, it's different to then the parents seeing you at the end of the day and going, oh, by the way, my child couldn't sleep last night because of the way you spoke to them or something like that. Like you just have a different relationship with them and you, you don't, you, you, you can't be no excuses in a primary school. Definitely. I don't think, although maybe some primary schools are. Okay. What was that? You said you would change transition. So I'm looking at my list of questions here, the ones that you wanted to answer. Uh, do you feel that the political drive towards knowledge-rich curriculum has been helpful? This is my Edie Hirsch question. Yes, I thought Zoe's answer was very good. Um, yeah, she was good, wasn't she? <laughs> yes. I think it's, it's not helpful. I think it came about a number of different factors drove it. Um, the need to save money for the Treasury, um, Gove had read Hirsch and was very inspired by him. Clearly. And, and I think the least helpful bit was, I think, a caric caricature of primary education, which is inaccurate mm. and quite lazy that we weren't teaching knowledge. Um, every school I've worked in has taught knowledge alongside skills. And I don't think you can separate knowledge, skills and understanding. I no, think there's a, there's a balance between the three. And what makes teaching so tricky is that the balance changes for different children. Yeah. Um, but to just to go down the knowledge route and put so much emphasis on it, and I know I've talked to people about it, they say it doesn't mean we, we don't do skills as well, but the way it's presented sometimes, you end up with science lessons with just the teacher stood at the front saying this is the knowledge, whereas actually we know teaching science is far better to do it through investigation and teaching explicit skills alongside that knowledge. Yeah, obviously. Um well, I'm in complete agreement with you about that. I, I think that the drive towards a knowledge rich, it's just such a buzzword now, isn't it? And the knowledge organisers and all, it's shallow thinking in a lot of places just to say that they're doing knowledge. Whereas, like you say, it's much more nuanced than that. There's It's very complex relationship between the child, the knowledge, the skills and the way they're thinking about it and you can't just say oh yeah now we're doing the chronology of all the kings and queens in england and we're doing um the heptarchy or whatever it is and we're doing it in the right order and yeah our kids are going to be much more full of cultural capital and succeed i just think that's yeah. rubbish i think the okay. answer to any issue is always balance and yeah. it, it's a really boring answer but it's true you have to find the balance between the different elements mm. for the child and also, don't you think that we should just do a bit more thinking, like deeper thinking? I feel like all of so much in education is knee jerk and a buzzword and some policy that has been ill thought out and nobody really understands. They haven't probably haven't even read Hirsch and Dewey. You know, it's like, um, yeah. I'm not saying I know them very deeply, but at least I've got the books and I've, I've dipped into them and I've, I've, well, I've tried to read them from cover to cover. Like I try to understand what's going on there, what, what the actual original thinking was about. And I feel like a lot of it is like, oh, we're doing this because this is, this is the way forward. Without... I think, yes. I think things get lost in translation between the book and the policy because mm, yeah. um, it has to be simplified down for policymakers. 
Mm, exactly. Okay. Um, you didn't. Yeah, tell me about your new voices talk because it looked lovely, and I saw very few of them. I'm afraid I didn't catch your one. Um, it was co-presented um, with a very talented um, teacher at St Martin de Porres. I'll give them a shout out. That's my last school, and it came about for a number of reasons. It was setting up a, a school garden. Now I had no knowledge of gardening whatsoever, but I had an interesting um, cross-generational education. I'd been to a presentation from the Sikh community who was setting up a free school in Birmingham and there was a photograph and it was a photograph of a, a grandparent teaching the grandchild to um, um, lay bricks and this was in a Gurdwara and this was put across as this part of the Sikh philosophy of education. I thought this is something really powerful um, mm. and something that somehow I need to capture and it was a few years ago so I kept it in my head and then I was working with Siobhan Braithwaite to it knows everything there is to know about gardening from what I can tell without Monty Don, Monty Don. <laughs> and I just thought this is someone whose skills and knowledge need to be brought into the curriculum. Mm. Um, so we put those sort of two things together and she wrote a, a letter to the parents asking if anyone could help us make one raised bed to grow things in. And we had a good response and then we had a group of parents and grandparents and we needed some wood. Now, someone got in contact with a demolition company. I think they're called AMRAC, who were very good to us. They said, well, you can have wood and we, whatever we've just demolished, we'll come and leave it with you. Um, and they brought this huge truck of wood, far more than we need for one raised bed. So then we started thinking, what else can we do? Um, so we started building and one of the parents um, called Nitin Vasani was a fantastic carpenter. He's spent his early life building climbing walls for the army. Um, and he led the parents. It was an Easter holiday, and we started creating these raised beds, um, and the staff got involved and the children were involved, and it was a whole sort of community, cross-generational. And what I loved about the gardening was also um, it appears in every culture. Mm. Um, so it tapped into the idea of passing on skills through families from generations in different cultures and also, it was a Catholic school, still is a Catholic school, um, and you've got the Garden of Eden, you've got the idea in monasteries that you, everyone had a garden, um, the idea that if you wanted to develop your spirituality, you got closer to God by being in, the na in nature. And I think in a non-denominational school, it works as well in terms of the secular idea of mental health and sporting mental health. Um, so these raised beds cool. were created and they've now got something like 125 square meters of raised beds. They've got a greenhouse, which was created from the bike shed, which can hold 30 children, which is enormous. Um, it was absolutely fantastic. And Siobhan led that she project managed it. And I, I thought she's got to come and talk to new voices about this. Um, and so we agreed to do it together. Um, and that was the, the basis of the talk that it was done with no money whatsoever. Um, I saw the video. It, it looked absolutely mm. lovely. What a fantastic project. I, I'd, yeah, I'd love to do something like that. I think we've got some little mini gardening projects, but nothing as ambitious as, as you've got. And I really like the idea of it being cross-generational. I didn't know that. Um, involving grandparents is always fantastic. I want to get some grandparents into EYFS to do some storytelling. It's lovely to have, um, yeah, parents and grandparents in schools, yes. isn't it? And I think Mental Health Awareness Week, was it last year or the year before it had the nature theme? 
was recent yes. anyway. I don't it's, think it, it was it, this one. There's yeah. quite a few therapies out there now around there? nature and gardens for adults and children. I, I often sit, I'm lucky that um, I've got a garden, I often just sit in it, it does make you relax. So, yeah, beneficial for all things, mental, educational, um, also those community links. Yeah. So we're coming to the end of our time together here, Justin. I, I'm going to ask you what three foods you'd live on for the rest of your life now. Um, it would have to be prawns, spinach and mushrooms, I think, which are the three foods I eat the most of. Gosh. King prawns? Um, I don't mind king prawns or normal prawns. I'd have to find someone who had some bread, I think, to make sandwiches. And spinach and mushrooms. Now, mushrooms is an unusual one. Lots of people hate mushrooms. Not me, obviously. Mm. But what's your favourite mushroom? I just go for the normal um, everyday closed cup um, brown mushrooms you get in the supermarket. I don't go for the speciality ones. Well, oh, I've I, had my I, first comment of, of the whole show, spinach with a un, unhappy face. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, T-S-W hates T. I haven't got my glasses on. T-S-C-W hates spinach. Yeah, I, I like spinach. I like spinach in the morning with eggs. I don't think I'd take it to my desert island, though. Mushrooms, I quite like porcini mushrooms on pasta, but I wouldn't include it in my food. But anyway, you know, great. I like porcini. What, what are your three? Beef, pasta, and tomatoes. Because I think you could have a steak, you could have a bolognese with the yep. tomato. I'm I'm kind of hoping that my desert island have got access to fish and coconuts and maybe a few yams. So I take the I take a carbohydrate, a protein, and a vegetable that I can't live without, which is tomatoes. Yeah. Good luck with the pasta because. Seems to be very little about at the moment. <laughs> I've got plenty in the cupboard. Yeah, I should be all right. All right, well, cheers. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you for having you. me. Yeah, it was really good and interesting. And I know that giving up a Saturday afternoon and hanging around for me while I'm waffling on is a pain in the neck. So uh, I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, take care. Take care. Bye. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? 
Why not inspire, challenge, and empower your team through the MALCPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course, or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses. All MALCPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Hi, um, my third guest is having problems calling in, so um, I don't really know what I'm going to do. I've asked Toby Payne Clark to also call in. He said he was listening and he didn't mind calling in. Uh, invite. Oh, do it again, Lucy, because I missed the invite because I was trying to think of what to say. Invites. Okay, I don't actually know who I'm talking to right now. Hello. Hello. Hi. How are you? Oh, hi. No, hang on a minute. Sorry. I don't think you were who I wanted to talk to. Hello. Um, I'm audible. Hello. Hello. Who's that? Hello, Jane. Hi. <laughs> I just disconnected that other poor listener. I'm sorry, listener. Um, I thought you were Lucy and I did say that I was going to... Um, talk to her and she's been waiting around all afternoon so maybe we can talk another time other listener um so lucy uh thanks yeah, sorry about that a bit of trouble ringing well, in there it said it was well, ringing not... in but nothing seemed to be connecting yeah it's not your fault it's probably just my instructions okay so um how's the hangover no uh what's your educational <laughs> what's your educational cocktail no we only had one cocktail didn't we uh what's your educational cocktail i know what it is no it's not an educational you know what it is i heard lots of it last night what's your favorite cocktail lucy Oh, my favourite cocktail has to be a blueberry muffin. Blueberry muffin. What is in? Did yeah. you look it up? Did you look yeah, it up? Yeah, I did look it up. Yeah. What's, what's Lovely stuff. It tastes like um, a Blueberry bit. jam. Okay. I've got to love some jam, some gingerbread syrup. That's why it tastes so... Oh, I love gingerbread. That's why it's nice. It tastes like a biscuit. Yeah. And well, a bit of cranberry juice and to finish off with a bit of vodka. Yeah. Obviously, the vodka is the most important bit. Yeah, no, that's make, that's what makes it alcoholic. That's what makes it worth it. We had a really nice meal last night as well. We should plug that place. Not that we've got yeah, a huge amount of brown listeners. Brown pasta. No, brown pasta. <laughs> pasta brown. Pasta brown. Brown pasta. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> pasta brown and Covent Garden. You had some prawns. If Justin's still listening, he said that he'd take prawns to his desert island. So I you know. Had, you had some really nice um, king prawns, didn't you? Yeah, they were. They were. Yeah, they apart looked quite from nice. the mess. They were. They were. They were. They were yummy. Yeah, they look quite nice. Okay, so mm. Lucy, I know you don't really want to talk about teaching on a Saturday, but this is a teaching show. So, <laughs> tell everybody how long you've been a teacher and um, what? Yeah, what you like. Yeah, about and I've, I've been a teacher for yeah, I think it's fifteen years now. I think my fifteen. Yeah, oh, I feel old. Yeah, and I think my first my first children have just. I had in year one. I've just graduated from university now, so yeah, oh I feel I feel old. <laughs> and how, what year yeah. groups have you done most of? Um, are you you've mostly mostly year, the right? earlier years? Um, but yeah, now I'm teaching in year three, and I've taught all year groups um, in my supply days, definitely. Yeah, from yeah reception all the way up to year six. Uh, oh, yeah, I haven't spoken too much about supply. Did you like being a supply teacher or not? Yeah, no, I really did. I mean, I got to go to see lots of different um, 
settings. educational settings and stuff like that. I went to special schools and um that must have been interesting. Yeah, big schools. Who did that? Haven't we? We've got a mutual friend, Mel, who's supplying yeah. special schools at the moment. We'll have to chat to her. I think about I think that. every teacher should go through like the supply, yeah, the supply journey once in their career and. You know, I mean, it's it's kind of stressful sometimes not knowing where you're going from day to day. But I agree. Yeah. I, I saw so many schools when I was on supply because I did it for about five years when I was trying to do that PhD that I didn't finish. Um, and I, I spent years on supply. And you do, you get to see the best and worst of schools. Yeah. Get, and, I mean, I, yeah, I realised that, you know, the type of schools that I didn't want to work in. and Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. So I realised special education wasn't for me. But, um, you know. Yeah, um, somebody does it. And lots of people are passionate about it, aren't they? Okay, yeah. so what's the best thing about your job? What do you like? Are you, you going to say something really cliche, like I love the kids? You are, aren't you? Well, yeah, seeing the progress, I think, especially in, you oh, know, no, when you're in year one and when you're in year one, I, I say, you know, they come in at the beginning of the year and they can like barely write a sentence and then they go back, you know, at the end of the year, they can write a whole page and it's like, well, you know, you can do that because I, I, I taught you how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's satisfying. Without me here to inspire you and, you know, you wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't be able to do what you can do now. So, yeah, and I think that's. That's why I do this job and why I wouldn't want to do anything else, although I have been tempted a few times. <laughs> well, haven't we all? <laughs> I just, but then I always think it would be so monotonous doing anything else compared to how, like Zoe, I don't oh, know if yeah. you've caught Zoe, she was saying one of the best things about teaching is that every day is different, but she oh, likes the, yeah. the, the cyclical nature of like, you know, when Christmas is coming around and what books are and what have you. So it's yeah, no of, day is ever the same. <laughs> it's reassuring that you've got a routine, but it's also every day is different because you've got all these little people going through different things and they're always going to be... what they say, what they say affects what you do or how their feeling affects what you do kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah. I, I started off a lot more cold hearted, I think, at the beginning of my career. And the longer I'm in it, the more I realise that well, I look at you being be... down in EYFS now. <laughs> yeah, you have to be so careful what you say and how you say it, because it does really affect, well, especially the little ones. You're like, um, you're in place of their primary caregiver. Um, and they they need they need somebody who cares for them. And if, you, yeah. if you're not caring, um, yeah, you're not really doing the job, are you? Okay. No, because they won't um, learn if they're not happy. So, yeah. Exactly. We, we were talking last night, weren't we, about TAs. And I think I know mm. what you're going to say um, with your one thing to, to change to improve the lives of teachers or students. But maybe you've changed your mind since we were chatting. No, I still, I still think the TAs are very important. I mean, yeah, I was saying to you last night, I had, you know, a week and a half without a TA and I really noticed I really noticed and realized how much I need my TA and how much she does for me and yeah I mean that my kids in my class are lovely I don't need her so much to help me with with their behavior or help me with their teaching necessarily but yeah just little jobs that you know I didn't get I don't necessarily get time to do yeah, um, and and also supporting the children, just being there as another adult to talk to. I think my, my yeah, definitely, I miss that adult interaction. <laughs> But also pastorally with the children, um, I know that uh, Olivia, she won't mind me using her name, she 
had really good relationships with my year six class and had more time to chat with them about their problems and then could come to me and say, oh, did you know, by the way, that such and such is going through this? And that really Mm -hmm. helped me as well. I was saying on Twitter that they're underpaid and vastly undervalued TAs in general because I, I could genuinely do with five more in EYFS because yeah. the quality, the, that that's how they learn quality mm. teacher quality talk with an adult they need your time yeah yeah and you can't you can't they have crave time your attention <laughs> you can't have time for 30 kids so no. um yeah I I think more more money for TAs that's yeah that's and I definitely I'm think gonna... you know if, if I could split I quite often say if I could split myself in you know to a a thousand pieces and you know be be there for every child in the class and help them out with their learning I would it's so hard when you see them struggling and you're like I can't help you I'm trying to help this child over here but I know you need my help as well it's yeah and all the systems (laughs) all the systems they're pushing to save money they're not going to compensate for what children really need which is which is your time and your your care and you know and and listening to them and your the time to listen to them which you sometimes don't have which I think you're also yeah, and saying you feel so bad when they want you know all, all they want to do is say something to you and you're like I can't listen to you right now I've got other I things that I need to do yeah I think we've <laughs> all been there on that one okay mm. um you came to new voices I know you don't want to talk about stuff like that but you were in the kitchen with me and new voices helping me out a lot but what do you think just about ed- the fact that I'm always talking about education on edgy twitter and I do this like just be honest because you, you're you're like a teacher I think who was talking about facebook teaching it was Zoe you're a facebook teacher aren't you you, you talk about teaching no, yeah, I facebook. Don't. but you I don't, do I don't. you follow you follow that t- what's his name Mr PICT yeah, so like funny you follow Mr. PICT and like he is on Twitter but he's huge on on Facebook and yeah um, you you prefer that is it because there's more humor on Facebook about it? it's more light-hearted or is it more practical yeah I mean is he's, like the, he's, the he's always making on? jokes and yeah um you know uh, I can't think of an, an example an example like of one he did a few few years ago was I know like you know teachers and their and their coffees and things like that and how they how you know the different personalities of teachers according to you know how they their coffee yeah so (laughs) I think yeah yeah, I think you've answered my question so I think that is super light-hearted isn't it and it's like it's not it's not gonna make you think deep too much deeply about your job no he like takes the mickey out of you know exactly yeah I think yeah. that's why more people like. I think that's why more, it's niche arguing about about education policies and things like that. So it's not going to appeal to everybody. Um, Lucy, I, because mm-hmm. I overran on my two previous callers, we don't have much time to talk. And I know that you didn't really want to do this in the first place, but I do want to ask you <laughs> what three yeah. what three foods you would live on for the rest of your life. I liked what your previous caller said. I, I would like, I would sure. like a bit of spinach, um, yeah. but I know that's a bit controversial. Yeah, I, I could, I could quite easily live on spinach for the rest of my life. Would you? Um, yeah, I love a bit of spinach. Um, and of course, are you just going to be Justin's like partner? No, in no, the future. No, I'm going to go life for rice and chicken. 
Oh, rice, rice and chicken, chicken for the other the other two. I could actually yeah. go for rice and chicken. Before before your other guest spoke, I was thinking about tomatoes. I was going to go with tomatoes, but then now I think now actually I'd go for spinach instead of the tomatoes. Okay. And uh, if you were going to go backwards or forwards in time, Lucy, where would you go and who would you meet? I think I go to I think I go to the Regency period, Bridgerton times. I think I'd really quite Bridgerton's like. I think made I really up, isn't it? Isn't Bridgerton it's, made up? Yeah, but it's an actual period. period. Okay, I haven't watched it, so yeah. Yeah, no, I think I'd go back to there. I love the costumes and yeah, the the dresses that they wore. And... I saw a clip. They weren't wearing like t- traditional costumes. They were some sort of newfangled like take on it okay all right I'll have to have a look at it you know more about it than me you want to wear a corset do you Lucy your your waist is small enough yeah no that that, yeah that that I I think just wearing you know like being a proper girly girl and wearing dresses all the time I think that would be okay all right fair enough you yeah (laughs) we've had many conversations about the lack of heels on show when we go out recently oh yeah all all girls have stopped wearing heels and Lucy is not happy about this I have no trainers you do not wear trainers on a night out well they do (laughs) and they wear dms now which I have started doing as well mainly because I nearly twisted well I did twist my ankle I nearly couldn't walk for the rest of my life because of heels so, uh yeah, yeah you I used did. to be the queen of heels I did didn't I do you remember my sparkly, sparkly white heels ones? and my oh, sparkly yeah. white ones that were like six inches tall I don't think I could walk in those anymore okay well <laughs> thank you very much Lucy I have to put on I have to put on something at the end oh no I don't I've done my adverts twice I just have to do the closing thing no thank you Lucy for calling in and um, that's all right enabled me to do an hour and a half which I would not have been able to do just by myself and I shall see you oh. very soon I expect see you soon bye bye okay you've been listening to teachers talk radio Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.